Jumping into our lesson tonight, it's going to be quite short. It's already 8 o'clock, so we only have about 10 minutes. And, uh, but that's good because we're just going to go right through reviewing what we've been talking about the last few weeks on the Word of God. Our theme this year is continue. And uh, we've already spent more than five weeks or so talking about continuing in God's Word and how important it is to know God's Word if we're going to obey and follow God's Word. God's Word, or the Bible, is the foundation on which we build our Christian life. And so uh, we need to know about the Word of God. We need to grow in the Word of God so that way we are able uh, to do the work of God. And so we've been talking about that the last few weeks. Tonight's going to be the review. And then uh, when we come back together, we're going to have the next part of our series in continuing in the work of God. So as we review tonight, and you've got your, uh, you've got your notes there, I want you to um, notice in that first set of notes, first of all, the meaning of the word Bible. We said that the meaning of the word Bible is book, all right? Now this book, the Bible that we have, claims to be not only the Word of God, but to be holy. Uh, and on most Bibles, you'll find somewhere, either on the cover or on the spine, it says, Holy Bible. Uh, this book here claims to be the Word of God, and it claims to be holy. Now, let me just say that there are other books to, that claim uh, in the sense of being holy. If you were to ask a Muslim uh, about the Quran, they're going to say their book is a holy book. But when you read through the Quran, you'll find that it never claims to be the Word of God like the Bible does. Over 3,000 times you'll find, almost 4,000 times, you'll find in the Word of God where it says, Thus saith the Lord, or God hath said. And you don't really find that in all the other books, but you do find it in the Bible. And you'll find that this book is a holy book. So we learned about that in the Word of God, that it is claiming to be God's Word, and it claims to be holy. All right. Then I want you to remember that we studied that the Bible was written over by over 40 different authors in a span of around 1,500 years, and you cannot find one contradiction in all of its writings. Uh, we said that that's what makes this book so unique. Over 40 different um, authors in a span of 1,500 years, some of the authors were not even living at the same time as the other guy that wrote uh, the other book, all right? 66 books in the Bible, and there are some authors of some of the books that were living in 500 years after, some 1,000, some 2,000 years, not, not 2,000 years, about 1,100 years, I should say, after. And so you're talking about a big gap of time, and yet what they wrote in one book is still true, and it does not contradict itself in another book. Even though they didn't know each other was writing it, in some cases, different cities, different places, and yet not one contradiction. And I want you all to remember this. Isn't this review? I'm trying to go through what I believe to be some of the most important truths about the Word of God that you need to remember. So number one, that the Bible is the Word of God. It claims to be the Word of God, and it claims to be holy. Right? It's a holy book. And then the uniqueness of it. Over 40 different authors in a span of 1,500 years and not one contradiction in the whole book. Then we studied more about the Word of God and we talked about divine revelation. 
We said divine revelation means God communicating truth. And now this is important because sometimes you, uh, you might ask or wonder, why do we say God communicating truth? Why don't we say God revealing truth? Well, you never want to define a word by using the word, right? Uh, like if you're trying to uh, define bonkers, uh, that means for someone to be bonker. Oh, yeah, okay, that doesn't tell me what the word bonkers means. What does the word bonkers mean? Define it. You can't use the same word to define the word. So, divine revelation. What does revelation mean? It means communicating truth. God communicated truth to us. And then we talked about how uh, there is not only divine revelation, but there's divine inspiration. And this is God recording truth. In our passage this year, 2 Timothy 3.14 Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy and said, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and heard of. Then in verse 16 it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does inspiration mean? Inspiration literally means breathe. God breathed is the word inspiration is breathe literally is what it means. But what Paul was teaching Timothy was, when you say that the Bible is inspired, what we're saying is that God was recording truth. God was the one that gave this truth. This is not man's book. It's God's book. The truths that are in here that we find, the principles, are not because somebody was really smart and wrote these things down, but it was because God revealed them or communicated it to 40 different men over a span of 1,500 years to write them down. So we find that uh, divine revelation means God communicating truth. We said that divine inspiration is God recording truth. And then we learned about divine inerrancy, meaning God telling the truth. The accurate, or the accuracy, I should say, of the Bible. In other words, when the Bible says that this person lied, it's very much accurate. And many times you'll read that it'll tell you what the lie was. And here's what they said. They said it was this and this and this. And they're telling you this is the lie that was said. And they're telling you with accuracy what happened. Okay? Uh, same thing when you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is known as the Synoptic Gospels. You'll find that sometimes they'll tell the same story. It'll be a little bit uh, from a different perspective. But you'll notice that it's always accurate. Uh, for many years, people doubted this. For many years, archaeologists could not find any, any evidence of a, of, a, of a nation called the Hittites. If you read the Old Testament, there's always a nation there, or there is a nation called the Hittites that were conquered by Israel. And uh, during uh, the, the time there in those days, of course, they, they went to battle, they went to war. And, and so archaeologists could not find any evidence of this nation, these people known as the Hittites, for many years until last century. In the 20th century, archaeologists, sometimes in the 1940s, found evidence of a city and uh, not only buildings but of uh, different weapons and stuff that were for the Hittites. In other words, what I'm telling you is when the Bible says it, it doesn't matter if man believes it or not, it's truth. God is telling the truth. There was a nation called the Hittites, and they did go to battle, and they were destroyed. The Bible said that. Now, a lot of people didn't want to believe it. Archaeologists, well, we, we don't have no evidence of that until, oh, now we do have evidence of it. 
Now, there's so many other proofs that prove that the Bible is true. There's so many things that prove, hey, every time the Bible says something, it's accurate. You know, uh, many, many, many years before uh, scientists and people here on, uh, in the scientific community believed that the uh, uh, earth was round, before we had satellite pictures to prove that the earth is round, there's many that believed it was flat. But you know that in the book of Job, Job wrote that the earth is round. In other words, God communicated that truth, and though many people didn't understand it, and many people didn't believe it, and there was no evidence for it, guess what? The Bible was right. That's called inerrancy. And we learned about that. Divine inerrancy is that God is telling the truth. Inspiration, he's recording the truth so we can have it for us. This is the Bible. Revelation, he communicates truths. And so we learned about those three uh, principles about the word of God. And then we said that there are two testaments in the Bible. The Old Testament, which is made up of 39 books, and the New Testament, which is made up of 27 books. All right, every Bible uh, that you and I have here is going to have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, 66 books total. And uh, we're still going to be working on memorizing them. I think Chelsea got up to like 15 or 20, I think, or 30. And, uh, and so we want to keep working on that and, uh, and keep memorizing uh, all 66. And I'm going to have, by the way, some Snickers and stuff next week so that you can continue memorizing. I think we're up to 30. So you got to uh, memorize the next 30 books, the first 30 books of the Bible. That's almost the, old, the whole Old Testament piece of cake. You guys can do it. I know you can. So the first 30 books of the Old Testament, you're going to get a, a free Snickers next week. But we see that the Word of God has those two Testaments. The Old Testament, 39 books. New Testament, 27 books. Now, when studying the Bible, we must have illumination. And we talked about this uh, for a couple weeks. We must have illumination. Divine illumination is God helping us understand His truth. In fact, the Bible says that someone that is not a Christian, that is not saved, cannot really understand the truths of God's Word. Now, he can study them, he can see them, and sometimes you can prove certain things that are recorded in God's Word, but the spiritual truths of the Word of God are beyond his comprehension. The only spiritual truth someone that is not saved can understand is the fact that they're sinners and they need a Savior. That truth, if they read the Bible, they can understand that truth. And upon believing in that truth, once they put their faith in Jesus Christ and ask Him to become their Savior, now God can illuminate them to the rest of the truths of the Bible. But not before that. The Bible calls someone that is not saved the natural man. And in Corinthians, Paul told uh, the church there, he said, now the natural man, the person that is not saved, cannot understand the truths of this Bible. But those that are saved are spiritually able. They're illuminated by God. In other words, God helps us to understand those truths. And then I want you to notice there in your notes the interpretation of the Bible. We talked about this, I believe, last week. When interpreting the Bible, we must study three areas, we said. We said we got to study the grammatical context, the historical context, and the literal context. Each one of these is important. 
So as you read the Bible, as you're reading, whether it's in Genesis, whether it's in Malachi, Matthew, James, it doesn't matter what book that you're reading in the Bible. When you're interpreting, you want to have those three areas covered. You've got to ask yourself, man, what is the grammatical context? What is it saying? What, what's the verb and what's the subject? And, and why is the sentence, why is it like this? What is God trying to say? And then you look at the historical context. When was this written? Who wrote this? What, what was going on? Uh, we know, for instance, when you're reading the book of Acts, it was in a time when the church was just starting. It goes from the very beginning when the church just started and then the persecutions that they had to face. It talks about the guys that were in prison. Uh, it talks about Stephen who was martyred. He was killed just because he was a Christian, because he was sharing his faith. It goes through all of that history, and then it, 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 it's a way that you can find historically. This happened in, uh, from b between the year uh, basically 35 A.D. up to uh, 100 A.D. or so. That's when the book of Acts took place. So you can read in your history books what was going on there. Uh, well, we know that the Roman Empire was in power. What were they doing? What battles were they fighting? You can get all of that, and it helps you as you study the Word of God getting the historical context. And then we said the literal context, that God is literally giving us truths. This is not an allegorical book. It's not a book that is giving us like fairy tales, and this means this, and this means that. No, no. Many of the truths of God's word are literal truths. In other words, when God says, thou shalt not lie, you know what he means? He means you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't say something that's not the truth. When God says, Thou shalt not steal. You know what he means? He means literally you don't steal. You don't take what is not yours. Well, you know, I think steal here, it, it, it means, you know, if you're not, you know, starving or something. If you're starving, you got to take somebody's, you know, food, then you got to do what you got to do. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible says thou shalt not steal. <laughs> you don't take what is not yours. So what happens if you're starving? You know, it's interesting because the Bible says in Psalm chapter 37, the psalmist said, I was young and now I'm old, and I have yet to see the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You know what that means? He means I've lived all of my life, and I have found this, that people that live righteous, they always have what they need. God always provides for them. God provides their food for them. God provides their clothing for them. Man, sometimes God even gives them their desires. He said, I've never seen them on the street begging for food. Never seen them doing that. Because God always provides for them. He says, and then I also saw this. You know, I, I was 21 years old one time, and, and I had my first job. And, and he says, and I, I noticed how God provided that for me and, and how God did that for me. And I, I noticed how he did it for my friend who was also living right and trying to do what was right and how God provided for them. And he said, and then I noticed that one day they got married just like me. And, and they had kids just like me. And you know what I have found? That their kids also have clothes that they need. And they also have food that they need. That's why he says, I have yet to see the righteous forsaken. That means without having what they need, nor their seed, their children, begging for food. He said, I've not seen that in all of my life. In other words, God says, you don't have to violate what I'm saying to get what you need. Oh, I'm starving. Can I steal now? No. 
Oh, I'm so poor and they're so rich. Can we take their money? No. And by the way, just be careful because, listen, there is a political party known as the Democrat Party that wants to teach some of that. That there's a good time to take away from people. There's a good time to steal from people. There are no absolute truths. And let me just tell you something. They're absolutely wrong on that. It's funny because you ask them, are you absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth? They can't say absolutely because now suddenly there's an absolute truth there. They're not the brightest people. But let me tell you something. That deceitfulness brings about destruction in a society, and it's happening. Let me just say, Republicans aren't that much better either. I'm not saying that one is evil and the other one's not evil. Listen, they both have their problems, but what I'm telling you is this, that when it comes to the principles and the truths of God's word, there is no relativity to it. What God says, he will do. When he says, don't steal, well, is there a good time to steal? No. What if I'm starving? Trust in God. God will provide. He always does. What about those people that I've seen that are, that are not, uh, you know, they're starving and they're on the street? I guarantee you many of them have no fear of God in their life. It's funny, I was talking with, with uh, uh, I believe this was uh, with Brother Mo there in the back, and you can ask him later if I'm lying or telling it correctly, but he was, um, <clears throat> I think he was going shopping at, uh, I think at Sam's or somewhere around there in Far, and uh, there was a, a guy that was there at Whataburger uh, outside that was homeless, that was uh, asking for, for money and, and, and food, and it was a colder day, kind of like today. And so Brother Mo uh, was moved by the Holy Spirit to, to be a help and a blessing to this man and went into Whataburger, got him a coffee and, 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 and some food, and, um, and went to the man and said, listen, I just felt like the Lord was wanting me to help you out, and here's some food for you, absolutely free, and, and here's some coffee, and, and uh, I, I hope that, uh, that this is a help and an encouragement to you. And as he was walking back to his car, he said that the uh, homeless guy uh, took a sip of the coffee and said, huh, there's no sugar or milk, and he threw it out. That was the guy that was begging for food there. Had nobody's food. Nobody was having pity on him. So if somebody comes like Brother Mo and helps him out, and that's what he does. He said, why are those people on the street for attitudes like that? That's why the psalmist said, I've been old, I mean, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken. Those that fear God, you see, when you have the fear of God in your life, you'll have the right attitudes in your life. You'll be blessable. That's why the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know what the word blessed means? What does the word blessed mean? Anybody know? What does it literally mean? Does anybody know what the literal translation is? This is interesting. The literal translation for blessed, when you see it in your Bible, like in Psalm chapter 1, it's happy. <laughs> happy is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, what he is happy in, is in the law of the Lord, in this book. I'm simply telling you, young people, when it comes to the word of God, these are truths that you and I must be 
absolutely believing in. This is the word of God. And if this is the word of God, this is all that we need to be learning. This is where our focus ought to be. This is where our love ought to be. This is where our our priority ought to be is on this book. Why? Because it's in this book that you find happiness. And not like the world gives it. I mean, real happiness. Lasting happiness. It's interesting. It's interesting. There's a, uh, I think it was on Facebook that Mo was showing me, but uh, J.J. Um, Morales there as he was at his church, and I think they were recording as he gave his testimony of what was going on in his life. And you'll find that there's not a whole lot of bitterness in him. He's not sitting here saying, I can't believe God is so unfair to me. No, you, you find joy in him, and you find peace. Why? Happy is the man. Happy is the man. The secret is in this book, young people. Don't think you're going to find it in a cool job. Don't think you're going to find it in a cool car. Don't think you're going to find it because you're, you know, the best athlete on your team or in your school or because you got the best grades. That's not where happiness comes from. It's never come from there. Happiness is found in this book. And the closer you get to this book, the happier you'll be. And I want to encourage you, young people, in this, as we close this series of continuing in the word of God, I, I, I really want you guys to, to make this a priority this, this second half of the school year. Say, man, I, I, I need to spend time in this book. I need, I need to read at least a chapter a day, something. Read a verse at least. Read something. And let the word of God begin to work in your hearts. Man, it, it, listen. High school, man, it's not easy. And I think it's probably harder for you guys than it ever was for me. But if you want to look back on your high school years, not with regret but with, with joy, then make a decision now. You know, my dad used to always tell me when I was growing up, he said, you know, today we're living the decisions that we made yesterday. And tomorrow you'll live the decisions or the consequences of the decisions that you make today. And I, I'll tell you what, there's so many decisions that I made in high school that I'm so glad I made. There's some stupid ones that I wish I wouldn't have done. But there's a lot of smart ones that I made. Oh, it's because you're so smart. No, no, not because I'm so smart, but because this book is so true. And if you make some decisions based on this book, man, you'll get to where you're 35 and you'll be like, I'm glad I made that decision. This evening, I want to encourage you guys. Make the word of God the priority of your life the purpose of your life. Get close to this book. It's not like any other book. It's different. And it's something that can change your life.